Keyboard Kimura podcast is brought to you by OneBone. If you're a bigger guy like me, chances are you've had problems finding shirts and gear that fits properly. The length is there, the sleeves are too wide, and the fit is all boxy. The sleeves are good, the shirt is a little too short, meaning your belly or your butt sticks out, which nobody likes. OneBone is the answer. The gear is made of 95% cotton and 5% spandex, meaning you get a little stretch and it fits right in all the right places. There's length to cover your gut and your butt with a number of different designs, styles, and colors to give you a complete wardrobe of good-looking gear that makes you feel comfortable and stylish every day. And as a supporter of this podcast, OneBone is offering you 10% off your next purchase with the promo code ESK10. That's my initials, E-S-K, all capitals, and the number 10. Just go to their website, onebonebrand.com, check out all the gear, figure out your size with their terrific sizing guide, and get yourself into some fresh new gear this summer and become a part of the growing One Bone community. One Bone, the biggest brand. Welcome back to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 24th. I am the Spencer Kite, friendly neighborhood Spencer man, as always. Wanted to put some together today. One, to just make sure that we're continually putting out content here on the newsletter and the YouTube channel, but also to follow up on what I talked about on Monday. So if you haven't gone and listened to that episode, one, please do. Two, the gist of it is this. Coming out of the Leon Edwards fight with Kamaru Usman last Saturday at UFC 278, one of my takeaways, one of the things that the outcome of that fight or just the, the intrigue of that fight said to me, spoke to me, made true to me, was that the UFC needs to just make the fights that make sense, right? Leon Edwards earned that opportunity. He did enough to merit that opportunity three years ago when he beat Rafael Dos Anjos to push his winning streak to eight. He then had to wait for the majority of 2020 when opportunities fell through and the Hamza Chemayev thing didn't work out a couple times. Then he had the Bilal Muhammad fight followed by the fight with Nathan Diaz to eventually get to this point. He had to watch as, as Gilbert Burns and as Jorge Masvidal and as Colby Covington worked in against Usman ahead of him, those last two getting their second opportunities before he got his first. And so Saturday and the way it played out, and again, yes, it is playing the results a little bit, but as I said on Monday, I think that fight is is entertaining and compelling 75, 80% of the time. And I know that Saturday wasn't compelling until it was again, right? Rounds two, three, and four weren't necessarily gripping. And even the fifth wasn't until it was, until the ending. But I think the altitude and I think the location has a lot to do with that. We've heard... Leon speak about it following the event. We've seen, we saw ourselves the impact that fighting in Salt Lake City and at that elevation had on a lot of people. And so I think if you move it to London, as they're talking about with the trilogy fight or just about anywhere else that isn't at that kind of elevation, we get a competitive, compelling fight for as long as it lasts, whether that's a round or five rounds or somewhere in between. I think those two men, because of the stylistic matchup of them and the way that they fit with each other in terms of the skills that they bring, are going to deliver a compelling fight 
90% of the time that they're matched up. And to me, one of the things I said on Monday again was that that needs to be sort of the ethos for the UFC matchmakers, for the way the UFC decides to book these divisions. And rather than just put out Monday saying, this is how they should do it. This is what I think things should be done. If I had the book, this is how I would be organizing things. I wanted to come and expand on that because, you know, it's Wednesday. It's a beautiful day here at Abbotsford. And I want to play matchmaker. So I generally like to, when it comes to this stuff, I don't like making fights right away, sort of similar to Dana Wright. I don't like right after the fact saying, well, this is what should be next. I want to sit down and take some time and look over things. I have some ideas as Monday explained. And as I've talked about many times here in the past as to how fights should be made or what I would like to see when it comes to matchmaking. And so we're just going to go division by division, starting with the women, starting with the straw weights and work our way up to heavyweight. And just, I want to give you my idea and my reasoning behind what I think is quote unquote, the right fight to make. And so here we go. We very recently had Carla Esparza, the new champ, the two-time champ, announced to be defending her title for the first time against Zhang Wei Li at Madison Square Garden in November. And I think the right fight, the fight I would have liked to see more, is a fight with Marina Rodriguez. Yes, they've already fought. It was a split decision, very close fight. I think if we went back and rescored that through the prism that we have now that a lot of people have come to understand, especially over this last year, the, the value and importance and influence of damage. That fight maybe gets scored differently. And Marina Rodriguez, who did a lot of good work off her back in the deciding third round, maybe gets that decision. And then we're talking about a very different winning streak and a fighter that's in a very different position in that division. As it stands, that is her last loss. She's won five straight fights since then. She knocked out Amanda Hibas. She headlined a pair of fights last year against Michelle Watterson and Mackenzie Dern, winning both over the course of five rounds. And she pushed that to five earlier this year with a split decision win over Yan Zhaonan. Now, I understand the reasoning behind running Zhang Weili back out there, right? She just knocked out Yuan Yin Jaychik in their rematch earlier this year. She's a former champion, big star, big popularity, growing market in China. All of the business side of things makes sense to me completely. And I want to see the fight because I do think there are some dynamics to it that could be interesting, that could be compelling. But from my standpoint, from the way that I want to see things booked or would prefer to see things booked, somebody like Marina Rodriguez, who has already won five consecutive fights, should get an opportunity ahead of a former champion who has one win. And again, that's me. I don't think everybody agrees. I think a lot of people are more interested and more focused on the bigger name and those athletes, those individuals maybe getting a quicker opportunity, maybe not having to do as much in order to get into the mix or back into the mix in Zhang's case. But for me, it's hard to deny Marina Rodriguez, who is now booked against Amanda Lemos, which is a tough fight, a dangerous fight. And if she wins that, I still don't know that she's necessarily going to get the opportunity. When Sean Sheehan and I did our last episode of the State of the UFC over for the Severe Patreon page, we talked about Mackenzie Dern being somebody that could very well skip Marina Rodriguez in that pecking order, even though Rodriguez has beaten her 
simply because Dern is a bigger name, is a bigger star, can speak English, all of these different things. But if it's just based on merit, if it's just based on results, if it's just based on what have you done in recent years, in recent performances, I'd like to see Marina Rodriguez get her shot and Zhang Wei Li maybe have to win one more. Go out and win one more fight. Why can't she be the one facing Amanda Heb- or Amanda Lemos next? Or even Amanda Hebosh, Amanda Hebosh for that reason, for that matter. So then we move to flyweight. Valentina Shevchenko has beaten everybody, right? Everyone they've put in front of her, she's beaten them. You look at the division, you look at the rankings. The next person up is Alexa Grasso. And to me, that's the fight I want to see. Right, Grasso was supposed to fight Viviana Arujo a couple weeks ago. That fight got scuttled. She's coming off a win over Joanne Wood, where she bounced her off the cage and grabbed a choke. And previous to that, Wood had been sort of the hurdle you have to clear in order to earn a title shot. Feels actually very similar to the welterweight division when Leon Edwards beat Rafael Rafael dos Anjos. That was the guy you had to beat. Usman beat him, title shot. Covington beat him, title shot. Leon beats him, no title shot. That feels what it, what it is happening to Grasso here a little bit. And now, you know, circumstance is certainly different. She's not on an eight-fight winning streak. But when you just look at the landscape of the division, when you look at the wins and losses, when you look at the performances as a whole, she feels like the correct next, next step. I fully understand if there's a rematch between Shevchenko and Tyler Santos because the clash of heads certainly had an impact on that fight and Santos did much better than everyone expected. But if we're talking about keeping things fresh, if we're talking about keeping things moving forward, Alex Grasso is the right pick for me. Brings us to bantamweight Amanda Nunes, won her title back against Juliana Pena earlier this summer. I don't, I don't think a trilogy fight is the right fight. I don't need to see that fight for a third time, at least not right now. At least not coming off a one-sided fight like we saw the last time out. So to me... The, the next fight, the correct fight to make is Ketlin Vieira. Harry and I talked about this um, in the wake of, of that pay-per-view, in the wake of UFC 277, how Valentina Shevchenko is an option, right? I said, you pick up the baffle you call Valentina, you say, hey, do you want to come up and fight her? And he said, let's put, let's put one more fight between them each, respectively. So let's let Val defend her belt, whether it's Santos or Grasso, and let's let Nunez defend her belt, whether it's Pena for a third time or Vieira, and hope that each of them really establishes their dominance again, really goes out and turns in the kind of performance that makes you go, okay, these are the two best female fighters on the planet. No one else in their respective division has anything for them. Let's just run it back between them again, and I'm all for that. Ketlin Vieira is coming off a couple very good wins, beating Misha Tate beating Holly Holm. I know they're not the most thrilling victories, especially the Holly Holm fight, but this isn't about sizzle. This isn't about marketability. This isn't about what can I put out there in the highlight reel. This is about having done the work. And to me, Vieira has done the work, deserves the opportunity, merits the opportunity, get her out there, do an all-Brazilian title fight, throw it on the the fight card that's going to happen in Brazil in January and see what happens go from there. We shift over to the men, the flyweight division, Davison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno. It's the only fight that makes sense. It's the fight that made sense before the interim title was was introduced when Davison was still 
sort of holding out and dealing with a finger injury now that Moreno has the interim title following his knockout win over Kaikara France. You just run that back. They're one, one in one. It is the only fight that makes sense. And if Davison does decide to depart flyweight, then Brandon Moreno is just installed as the undisputed champion. And you have your pick of a few fights. There's a few different options there. He has a history with a few guys, but if, if that ends up being the way things play out, Alexandre Pantoja gets his opportunity. He's 2-0 against Moreno. You have a ready-made fight built in. So no matter what happens with this division, we've got a really interesting option going forward. We move to Bantamweight, where we've got a championship fight on the books for UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi in October. Aljamain Sterling defending against former champ TJ Dillashaw. And for me, figuring out what comes next after that is sort of a flowchart thing of, of depending on who wins, right? Because we heard last weekend that Marab Dwalishvili said, Aljo and I aren't fighting. We're brothers. We're not competing. And it wasn't even the like, we're only competing for the belt. It was, stop asking me this question. I'm not fighting him. Now, Aljo has said in the past that he would leave bantamweight if it meant clearing a path for Marab. Now, I don't know if that means leaving and, and vacating the title, because I don't think he's necessarily going to do that. So if he holds on to the title through his fight with TJ Dillashaw, I think the next man up is Marlon Vera, who went out a couple weeks ago, kicked Dominic Cruz in the head, pushed his winning streak to four, five, looks very good, is sort of ascending and building and has that momentum that we want to see, right? The highlight reel of that, of that finish looks really great, beats and knocks out, first guy to knock out a former champion in Dominic Cruz, has this winning streak, has this air about him as a guy that no matter what has happened throughout the fight can always get you. And so if Aljo wins, I think Chito Vera gets his opportunity. If TJ Dillashaw wins, I think Marab gets his opportunity because as, as good as Aljo has been throughout his career at Bantamweight, I don't think he's done enough as champion to merit an immediate rematch right? Won the title on disqualification, not his fault, not diminishing his accomplishment, but it wasn't a decisive victory that earned him this spot. He goes out in the rematch and earns a split decision win over Piotr Jan. I thought he did enough to get the victory. I don't dispute his position as the bantamweight champion, but two very close fights and, and debated fights doesn't necessarily earn you that, hey, I was champion, I get another shot card in my books. And so if TJ beats him and becomes a two-time champion, then you just call his training partner and it becomes Marab's turn because he's won eight straight fights. And as I've said repeatedly, both in words and in audio, in, in print and in audio, I guess, you can't keep putting hurdles in front of these people that have these winning streaks that have rattled off six, seven, eight, nine wins against quality competition working their way up the ladder. We saw that with Marab last week. Like I understand it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing fight. It wasn't the most entertaining fight in terms of the action itself, but he went out there and did what he needed to do to beat Jose Aldo, who was on a very nice run and is a former champion at featherweight and an absolute legend. And so you can't continue to say, well, we need something we need something flashier from you, Marab, before we give you a before we give you a title opportunity. Now, let me be clear. 
the UFC can absolutely say exactly that. They can say whatever they please. It is their company. They can do this however they want. But that isn't the exercise we're doing here. This exercise is if Spencer Kite is sitting in the big chair and gets to make these decisions and gets to book this division and all of these divisions. And so if it's me, I don't continue to put hurdles in front of Marab Dwalishvili. I don't continue to make athletes that are on lengthy winning streaks go out and continue to win one or two more so that they pop, so that they sizzle, so that there's some kind of real big highlight I can show. Because here's the thing. You can find highlights to sell Marab, right? You put up a picture of him with his hat on, celebrating the victory. Some fans are going to think, and and rightfully so, it looks similar-ish to Khabib standing in the center of the cage with his white pahapka on. He's got a bunch of takedowns you can show. He's got some, you know, you can show a clip of of the round with Marlon Marais, which was crazy at UFC 266 last summer, last September. There's there's bits and pieces you could work in here to make, I mean, you could cut together anything to make somebody look good, right? Rob's had enough fights in the UFC. He's won eight straight fights. There's pieces you can put to build the machine into a guy that people go, oh yeah, this guy, this guy looks good. He deserves an opportunity because he deserves an opportunity. He's won eight straight fights. So if his training partner and close friend loses the title in October, it might be the best thing that could happen for his career. We shift to featherweight. And this is one that anybody that listens to the stuff I do or the stuff the boys do over at Severe MMA and on their Patreon, which you should definitely sign up for, it's like $7. Just do it. It's absolutely worth it. You will know where I'm going with this, and it's Alexander Volkanovsky versus Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen is very much the poster boy right now for the whole, for my whole, you can't keep sticking hurdles in front of people movement. He went out last time in London in March and and beat Dan Hooker in the first round. And we all, when we got together, when we were doing that stream, groaned that he called out Calvin Cater. And and it made sense. We all understood it, right? He's the next guy in front of him. He's the guy you got to get through. But he shouldn't have to get through anybody else because he's undefeated in the UFC and he's won nine straight and he's won 11 straight overall. And he's 27 and he's interesting and he's an entertaining fighter with a well-rounded skill set and the kind of guy that I want to see in the cage with Alexander Volkanovsky. That's not to say that I don't want to see Yair Rodriguez in the cage with Volk. I want to see Volk fight everybody. I don't want to see Volk move up to 55. There's plenty of talent there. And there's plenty of talent at 45 for you to still fight. Anybody that says he's cleaned out the division hasn't been paying attention to the division beyond the four or five names at the top of the division. I don't think getting a injury TKO victory over Brian Ortega at the end of a round where he is in top position and neither of you have really dominated in any way, shape, or form should be the thing that elevates you into a championship opportunity. Not when the fight before that was you getting your ass handed to you, as you say, as Yair himself said, against Max Holloway. I tried to give him, I talked to him before that Ortega fight and tried to give him credit for some of the good moments of that fight with Max Holloway. And he was like, it wasn't close. He kicked my ass. And so if that's how you feel about your last kind of full fight, then to me, an injury TKO, and, and look, it's again, it's not on Yair to say, no, I haven't done enough. If the UFC says, hey, it's your turn, 
step up, take your turn. Absolutely. But again, if I'm in the chair, if I'm making the decisions, it's Arnold Allen because he's coming off a finish. He's got nine straight victories. And the thing that worries me and that we've talked a lot about over on Severe is that he's going to end up getting put into this, this grinder that they have at Featherweight where it's either going to be Kelvin Cater next or it's going to be Josh Emmett or most likely it's going to be Max Holloway. And if the guy you have to get through in order to earn a championship fight is somebody that A, was already a champion and a, a very good champion at that, B, a guy that's lost three times to the current champion, C, a guy that no one else has beaten, what are we doing here? We're going to end up with no one that moves forward through Max. And so instead of continually running all of these emerging talents through this last little gauntlet of established guys, none of whom seem to be able to get through Max, yet alone Volk, why not just skip that part of the process? Why not just move away from that part of the process? And so I want to acknowledge Josh Emmett here, right? He went out, defeated Calvin Cater by split decision last time out. He's won four straight, has looked good at times through that run. It's been stretched out over a few years because he's dealt with some injuries and some, some different issues. And he probably has a case. Just, just given the results, right? Just playing the results, just playing the wins and losses. He's got a case. He officially earned a victory out over Calvin Cater. But again, this is me making the calls. I thought Calvin Cater won that fight. I think you can make a case for Josh Emmett winning the first three rounds. But the way those that fight was actually scored in reality with Chris Lee giving Josh Emmett the fourth round, I can't, I can't get behind it. It's one of those instances where I say, okay, like if this guy scored it right, it's a different result. And so you're not going forward. You're not moving up. You're actually going to be the guy to me that either faces Yair Rodriguez, as it was talked about a little bit in the immediate aftermath of Yair's fight with Brian Ortega or faces Max Holloway. Just do one more. You got to give me one more. And I know that that contradicts a lot of what I just said and goes against a bit of what I said. But if we're just playing numbers, if we're just playing results, Arnold Allen's nine fight winning streak is nearly twice as long as Josh Emmett's. He's got a better last performance, if you want to call it that, over a very talented competitor. And Dan Hooker beat some good fighters before that as well. And so I think you just give him the shot and get Emmett one more. And then if he wins that, he's next in line and you've got you've got two fights set up. And in there, if it is Emmett and Yair, which I think makes a lot of sense as a fight, you get your number one contender. And one of them gets their opportunity by earning a victory over someone else that has earned some wins and has moved forward in this division. And then Arnold gets a shot. And we don't have to talk about Arnold not getting a shot anymore. Move to lightweight, where we have same as bantamweight, a championship fight on the horizon at UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi. Charles Oliveira, Islam Mahashev for the vacant title. This is absolutely the right fight to make. It pained me for all those months of uncertainty where we didn't know whether Charles Oliveira and, and Islam Mahashev were going to fight. It was the correct bout. It always has been. Islam's on a lengthy winning streak, finished a bunch of guys in his in his most recent fights. He's just looked dominant, right? And you can say what you want about there have been a couple short notice fights in there. There have been a couple 
replacement opponents in there. He's handled business. That's all you can ask of him. You cannot penalize him for opponents falling out. It's it just happens, right? This is this is part of the world we live in. It's part of the sport. What he can do is go out on fight night and handle the task in front of him. And over these last few fights, he's absolutely handled it. Subs out Drew Dober, subs out Tiago Moises, subs out Dan Hooker, subs out Bobby Green. What more do you want him to do? Nine straight wins. Everybody got up in arms, and I bring it up all the time because there are parts of it that feel like we play favorites, right? Tony Ferguson goes a big, long winning streak and doesn't get an opportunity, and everybody laments the sad tale of Tony Ferguson. Now we have Islam, nine-fight winning streak. It's the same thing. If we're going to feel one way about Tony Ferguson, we need to feel that same way about Islam Ahashev, who has gone out and done the work, who has put in the time, who has put forward the results to get this opportunity. So I'm glad to see that he's getting it against, against Charles Oliveira. And so in booking it going forward, in booking after UFC 280, I think the winner of that fight faces the winner of Benil Dariush and, and Matoish Gamrot if I'm in charge, if I'm making these decisions. Again, Sean and I talked about it and, and he waxed poetic about it. The Justin Gaethje thing, where Gaethje wins one fight and then says, yeah, I'm back in line. Nah, go to the back of the line. Dustin Poirier, we don't know what he's doing right now. We don't know what comes next. It might be a fight with Michael Chandler. He tweeted out MSG the other day. So maybe that's something that comes together for November. Even if it is, it shouldn't be enough to put him back into the championship mix, given that he's already lost to Charles Oliveira. Now, you can make an argument that if it's Islam Mahashev, then it puts a formidable name in front of a new champion. Fine. Sells tickets. Great. But I'm not, I'm not worried about those things. I'm not making my decisions based on what's best for business. I'm making my decisions based on who has earned those opportunities. And to me, you look at Darius, you look at Gamrot, you look at what they've done over their last handful of fights, the winner of this one is the guy that deserves to go forward, that merits the chance to go forward so that we don't end up with the same thing we're seeing at Featherweight, so that we don't end up with the same thing we saw at Welterweight. You get these fighters that are on these lengthy runs of beating good competition, and then there's another tough hurdle put in front of them. While a more established name, a more popular name that hasn't done as much in recent years in terms of wins and losses gets hustled into a championship fight because they're a bigger draw because they're a bigger name because people are going to be more pumped to necessarily see them. I get it. Same as always. I get it. I understand it. In, in most of these situations, I understand the business side of it. I understand the popular opinion side of it. All of that stuff makes sense for me. I'm never going to be the person that says, I don't get it, but I, I choose to, to want, my desire is for something different because I, I believe, and I said this Monday, if you continually put out sort of the fights that make sense and the fighters that have earned it, those athletes will become stars. You will have moments like last Saturday where Leon Edwards becomes a bigger star in that biggest moment that a lot of people didn't really want to see him get. You're going to see that with Islam Mahashev if he beats Charles Oliveira. You're going to see that with Benil Daryush or, or Matoish Gamrod if they get their opportunity 
down the road. These are ultra talented fighters that the only reason they are not bigger names is because more people haven't been paying attention to them. They haven't had their time in the spotlight. They haven't had the media attention that some of these people like Dustin Poirier or Michael Chandler or Tony Ferguson or Conor McGregor have gotten over the last bunch of years. All of those fighters weren't big names at some point and worked their way into it. And so I just want to see us work more names into that mill. Get more people out there so that some of these fights that are truly great fights, that are truly important fights, like the Gamrot fight with Armin Saryukin earlier this year, get the recognition they deserve and get more people on board. To me, this is a longevity play. Instead of a, a short term, this is a long term kind of viewpoint when it comes to booking fights and figuring out how divisions should be lined up. Because I truly believe that if you showcase these athletes that are unheralded right now and a little bit unsung right now, there is going to be enough of this population that watches these fights and enjoys these fights and consumes these fights every weekend that goes, holy shit, I want to keep watching that guy. If you don't think people came away from that fight between Gamrot and Saryukin going, I want to see both of them next time out, you are kidding yourself. It was the best fight of the year so far. And people absolutely are now interested in Gamrot's next fight, in Saryukin's next fight. The same way they are about Edwards Usman 3, which if you said going into Saturday, look, Leon Edwards is going to win and we're going to do a trilogy fight, people would be like, oh, again? Today, people are like, cannot wait. Give it to me. And so rather than constantly running these established names that aren't doing a ton to work their way back into position, into these championship fights, as we're doing with Zhang Weili at strawweight, give the opportunity to the next person in line and let that established name, let that former champion, let that big star get two or three wins before they get hustled back into the mix. Brings us to Welterweight, sorry, and she knows. Brings us to Welterweight, the obvious fight. We already touched on it. We already talked about it a little bit. Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman, part three. Going to take place somewhere in the UK. I know Dana talked about it again on Tuesday following the Contender Series. Um, Said they spent the day working on trying to find out where they could have it. Ian mentioned on Sunday that there is a stadium in Wales. Somebody actually brought it up on Tuesday night and said, look, there's there's a place in, in Cardiff that has, I think it's 70 or 90,000. It's covered. It could be a big show. I think the UFC will try to do somewhere in England proper as opposed to in the United Kingdom um, just because logistically it's probably a little bit easier. It's a bigger, bigger center, even though travel and, and getting there would be relatively easy if you can do it in Manchester or Birmingham or Liverpool or London or anything like that. I think that's a little bit easier than doing it in Cardiff, Wales. But it's the fight to make. It's the only one that, that that's on the table. It's the only one that makes sense. We knew that going in. Leon Edwards knew that going in. And so that is the fight we will get next. Correctly. Understandably. Shifts us to middleweight where Israel Adesanya is going to defend his title against Mich- or Sorry, I was going to say Michelle Pejera. No, Alex Pejera. Uh, his former kickboxing rival at Madison Square Garden, UFC 281 in November. I think the winner of that ends up facing, again, if I'm in charge, if I'm, if I'm calling the shots 
Andre Muniz. I know the last performance wasn't special. Kind of just hung out on your eye hauls back. Didn't really do a lot. Hunted for some stuff, but really wasn't there. But it's a it's a win. It keeps him going forward. And thus far in his UFC career, all he's done is gone forward. And if you look at the rest of the division, they're either fighters that Israel Adesanya has already beaten or fighters that couldn't get to the point of being beaten by Israel Adesanya. We have Rob Whitaker facing Marvin Vittori in the co-main event in Paris in September. Whitaker's 0-2 against Izzy. Vittori's 0-2 against Izzy. As much as both will want to make a case, not happening. Don't need to see it yet. In order for it to happen, and I to happen, I think we need three, four wins for each of them at a minimum. And a couple of those need to be like, holy shit moments. Even though I think Rob looked good in the second fight. So maybe, maybe three or four, two or three wins for Rob. If he goes out and starches Vittori, then we can have a conversation. But for right now, nah. Jack Romanson got a win over Chris Curtis a couple of weeks ago, but he hasn't been able to progress up the rankings. Jared Cannonier just had his shot. Sean Strickland, you know, bad game plan against Alex Pahea. He is fighting Jared Cannonier coming up. And so to me, it just feels like we are at a point where Muniz is the guy. He's the only guy that hasn't really been through the grinder, that hasn't faced Adesanya yet, that presents some intrigue of the dynamics of the fight to me of, of maybe getting, even not necessarily getting Israel on the ground, but putting him in clinch positions, putting him in cage grappling positions where that part of his game will be tested where his submission defense will be tested. It's not the flashiest fight. It's not the sexiest fight by any stretch. But again, it's about booking, to me, the fights that make sense to keep things moving forward. Because a fight like this gives you six months. If Izzy fights every twice a year, fights every six months, this buys you six, seven, eight months to sort the rest of things out, to figure out who's next to get Jack Hermanson matched up with somebody, to see what happens between Nasruddin Imovov and Joaquin Buckley and which one of them moves forward in the rankings out, coming out of Paris, to figure out a next step for Whitaker and Vittori and Paula Costa, who just won, and all these different names that are, that are kind of jumbled up together in the middleweight division, where I feel like it's Izzy, a step down to Rob Whitaker, a step down to like Vittori, and probably just Vittori, honestly. And then like a big step down to everybody else. And then everybody else from like three to 17 or 18 is all pretty tightly packed. And if you told me one beat the other on any given night, I wouldn't be surprised. And so buy yourself the time by making the matchup that just makes sense. Give the guy that continues to win fights the opportunity to fight for the belt and it'll reset things or create an opportunity not to reset things, but to reposition some people so that you work for. We've seen it in the past, right? This is why Anderson Silva defended the belt against Talish Latis and Patrick Cote. It's why George St. Pierre fought Dan Hardy, frankly. Sometimes these are just the fights that you have to make. They're not coming off the biggest victories. They're not coming off the sexiest wins, but they're just the right fight to make because that person is the next man or woman up and you give them their opportunity rather than forcing something that doesn't need to be there. Shifts us to the light heavyweight division. Yuri Prohashka won the title in June. 
There's talk of a rematch with Glover Teixeira. If it's me, I'm putting him in there with Magomed Ankalaev. And it's just because it sticks to the principles, right? It sticks to the overall Spencer ethos. You do not continue to put hurdles and put distance between athletes that have won multiple consecutive fights and a championship opportunity. Ankalaev went out, pushed his winning streak to nine last time out with a good win. It's just time, man. It's just time. I know that, you know, it was Anthony Smith and he jacked up his ankle and it kind of didn't work out the way that you necessarily want it to be in terms of like, I was a blistering finish over a former title challenger and all like that. It's out of his control. And so you're going to just stick another fight in front of him. You're going to make him get through yet another guy and maybe push this to 10 in order to give Glover Teixeira, a 42-year-old champion who lost the belt in his first championship defense by making a bunch of critical mistakes, a second opportunity. Now, I get it. It was an, it was an entertaining fight. It was a captivating, action-filled fight. It's kind of sloppy as well. And I just feel like we have these athletes that are there and ready that we don't need to be rushing these former champions into these matchups. I know Jan Bohovic was talking about, hey, I should be next. Dana, put me and, and Yuri somewhere in Poland or somewhere in Eastern Europe, and we'll, we'll set records. Well, Jan got a TKO win via injury, the same way that, that Yair Rodriguez got a TKO win via injury. And as much as I like Jan and think he's a, a great dude and an entertaining fighter and a guy that still probably has something to give, go win another fight. Fight Jamal Hill. Beat Jamal Hill. Or lose to Jamal Hill, and then Jamal Hill's in line as well. But instead of doing these resets, instead of doing these rematches that don't necessarily make sense or hustling former champions back in after one, maybe two fights, give the guy that's won nine straight fights an opportunity. Don't make him win 10 or 11. Give it to him. Because, like, worst case scenario, he loses and is out of the way, right? That was part of the conversation with Leon Edwards going into that fight with Kamaru Usman as well, right? And throughout the fight, he wasn't a guy that if he went out and lost on Saturday, he wasn't a guy that was going to win one or two fights and get an opportunity again, unless they were absolute dominant performances where he goes out and smashes somebody the way he did Seth Bozinski way back in the day, which was his last knockout before Saturday, which is just wild to think about. He was going to be somebody that would have had to win five, six, seven more fights in order to get that opportunity, especially if Usman is still sitting in the throne. Now it changes maybe depending on, on what happens in the, in the division, but he's not that magnetic personality. He's not that big person, that big name that is going to just get hustled back. He's not going to get the Zhang Wei Li treatment or the Colby Covington treatment for that matter, where he just get a win and you're back in here, kid. And so I feel like that's what we need to do in all of these divisions is give the people that have worked their way forward the opportunity and give the former champions and established names a little bit longer of a road in order to get back so that you have some time to see how things shake out. Because as good as running Zhang Li into a fight with Carlos Sparzi is in, in New York City as a second title fight on that card at Madison Square Garden. It sure be really cool if she fought Mackenzie Dern and Mackenzie Dern beat her. Or if she fought Amanda Hibas and Amanda Hibas beat her. 
or if she went out and beat one of them to really truly solidify her position. And that's not taking anything away from, from Zhang or her victory over Ioana Yinjechek. It's just wanting to see more people get opportunities. To me, again, as I've said throughout this, throughout any time I speak about this, it's about expanding the talent pool. It's about expanding the scope of, of understanding for people that are watching. It's about showing them more fighters and giving them more fighters to be interested in. Because we see time and again, every single Saturday, except for this coming Saturday, thank you, happy to have a break after 13 consecutive weeks of fights, that these men and women go out and put on performances that we come away from and go, okay, I want to see more of that. Who the fuck was that? Let me see more. You think that's not going to happen in championship fights? You think that's not going to happen in big fights and main event fights? Expand the talent pool. Expand the number of people that can be in these things. And you suddenly have more people to pick and choose from and more compelling fights. Last one up, we get to heavyweight. And this is the tough one. And I, I sort of filibustered there for a little bit before getting to it because I have no idea at heavyweight. Sean asked me about it on the State of the, Un State of the UFC podcast. There's no one in line, right? That's part of it. If, if Tai Tuivasa beats Cyril Gan in Paris, then yeah, Tai Tuivasa is next. This is just the way it is. Because the other options are Stipe Miocic, who hasn't fought since losing to Francis Ngannou and got stopped in the second round in his second fight with Francis Ngannou. Or John Jones, who hasn't fought in, since, since beating Dominic Reyes three years ago. They both make sense. I... You can I, can, I can sit here, and if this was a debate, I can make the argument for each fighter, right? Stipe had to go through a trilogy with DC when he didn't think it felt merited, gave him that third fight, beat him. So now he's just saying, look, I, I just want the same thing. What was good for the goose needs to be good for the gander. Let's go. John Jones just, just throws the legacy on the table, right? Just throws the light heavyweight titles, all those championship fights, the record, the standing, all of everything, and says, I'm a heavyweight now. What are we doing? Both make sense. Personally, I'd like to see them fight each other for the opportunity to fight for the UFC heavyweight title and see someone else fight Francis Ngannou whenever he comes back. As I said, Tai Tuivasa, if he beats Cyril Gan in Paris, I don't think there's any need to run back the Cyril Gan francis Ngannou fight right away if, if gone is victorious at home in Paris. And that is that is the dilemma, right? There's no one else next. Because Curtis Blades is sort of the next man on the totem pole. He's already lost to Ngannou twice. The last win over Tom Aspinall. Again, TKO by injury. So a little bit of a tough sell. Sergey Pavlovich is coming off the win over Derek Lewis, but probably not quite enough. I think it's his third straight win in the UFC, so... So not quite enough, sorry, his four straight win in the UFC. So not necessarily quite enough to get there. And so heavyweight's the one spot where I think you just do whatever. Whichever of those big fights you can put together, that's the one we'll do. And, and we'll use that time. Again, this is the important part. Use that time in the aftermath, in the sort of surrounding that fight to get one or two contenders built up to make fights where no matter who emerges victorious, we've got something fresh to deal with. Because that should always be what we're aiming for when booking fights, what the UFC is aiming for when booking fights. 
does this result give me something to work with going forward? And so for me, it's about booking the fights that make sense. It's about giving opportunities to the men and women that have put in the work, put forth the victories, put forth the results to garner those opportunities rather than just picking the biggest names and giving them their shots and putting another hurdle in front of the Marina Rodriguez's or the Arnold Allen's or the Magomed Ankalaev's of the world. That's it for the podcast. Thank you for listening. Appreciate all the support. Thank you for subscribing to the newsletter. Thank you for subscribing to the YouTube channel. Really appreciate if you follow both. Love all the comments. Love all the interaction. Means the world to me that you guys are, you, you men and women, all of you folks are appreciating this stuff. I enjoy putting it out. Harry is on vacation and I told him I was going to do this and I got a like big, big exclamation of excitement that I was doing it. And so Harry, this is for you. Hope you're enjoying Disneyland. Hope you're enjoying getting stenciled. Can't wait to have you back, brother. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.